Please join me as we pray. Gracious God and Father, we pause and we recognize right now that you are alive, active, speaking. And I pray that you would help us to be an actively listening people. That in this moment, God, that in a particular and a pointed way that you would tend to us by your word. And I pray particularly, God, for all the ways that we feel the realities of anxiety creeping at the edges of our life and our heart, the ways that we're tempted to to worry and to feel bound up and hemmed in by the concerns of this world in a way that is that is unhealthy and robs us of our freedom and our joy in Jesus. I pray that by your word, you would lead us into broad places today. That you would give us the ability by the power of your spirit to believe these words, these commands that Jesus offers to not be anxious and that he's empowering us to live out. I pray that right now, God, as a community, we would be submitted to your word and that your Holy Spirit would tend to us in such a way that we would experience the freedom and the beauty of it. So thank you for what you're going to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In a pre-COVID world, every spring I would go to Cuba. I'd go to Cuba with a group of leaders from Houston and we would do cross-training with leaders and church planters that are on the ground in Cuba and we would travel from one end of the island to the next. It's one of my favorite trips. I've missed it a great deal. I can't wait to get back. Uh, a couple of years ago, one of the challenges was that we were traveling in a caravan of, of several different like, sprinter vans, and one of them broke down, which means we needed to redistribute the humanity. And my van, all of a sudden, that was meant to seat a certain number, uh, I think there was 10 seats in this little sprinter van in the back, we ended up with 15 bodies uh, with those seats and all of the baggage. So you've got all the bags under the feet and behind the head and people crammed in on one another. And in the first few moments, you sit down and you're like, hey, this is going to be great. This is going to be a bonding experience. But we would drive for hours. We would drive through mountain territory where the roads were not great. And by the time we would arrive at our different stopping points, it would feel a little bit like there wasn't enough oxygen in the van for everyone. You know, my neck hurts, my knee hurts, my back hurts, and I just kind of want you out of my space. I just can't quite, I can't quite catch my breath, you know? Have you ever been in a really cramped spot like that? I think anxiety is like that. Living in the midst of anxiety is kind of like finding yourself in a spot where there's just not quite enough room. Can't quite catch your breath. You think, I can't live like this for long. I wasn't made for this space that is closing in around me. Anxiety and is, is a cramped space. And this morning, I think into that space, Jesus is going to speak and he's going to invite us out, out of the cramped spaces of anxiety into space where we have room to unfold and to breathe and to be remade and the freedom that he has secured for us. And in order to receive that invitation, I think it's important to define some terms up front and make sure we're clear about what we're talking about. So just a few introductory notes. One is this, 
We around here very much are aware of the fact that there are physical realities at play and that at times there are chemical realities that need medical attention. And so in speaking about Jesus' command not to be anxious, I want to be real clear that we're not looking to shame anyone that is dealing with real physical issues that require medical care that we are complex creatures, physical and emotional and spiritual. And Jesus is speaking into that complexity. And, and for the majority of people that deal with low-level anxiety, maybe not the sort that is chemically induced or requires medical treatment, he's, he's inviting us to, to experience the freedom that is found in that. And even for those that are under medical care, recognizing that God in his kindness is ministering to us through the words of Jesus to continue to bring healing. So I want to speak clear about that. It's important to be clear about what we're, what we're dealing with with anxiety. Anxiety is, is not synonymous with legitimate concerns. There are legitimate concerns that face all of us, and quite frankly, the people that were receiving this initial teaching were impoverished and under the oppressive rule of the Roman government. These are first century Jewish people that are struggling to make ends meet. So when Jesus is talking about worrying about clothing or food, he's talking to people that are not always sure where the next meal is coming from. That is a legitimate concern. And so in speaking about anxiety, we're not talking about the legitimate concern, but what Jesus is going to be articulating is, is anxiety takes a legitimate concern and then chooses to start worrying about that concern in, in a way that causes it to grow larger, to loom bigger and bigger to become a, a cloud that is ambiguous and feels like it's slowly wrapping its arms around us into a very cramped space. He's talking about the decision that each of us gets to make of what are we going to do with the legitimate concerns of life? Are we going to choose to worry and cause it to grow and to begin to hem us in so that we feel like there's not quite enough oxygen or space in this area? Or... Are we going to follow his directives and his invitation to say, yes, concerns are real, but here's what it looks like to live in the, the wideness, the breadth that I have for you to not be anxious about these legitimate concerns. So we're talking about the worry that turns legitimate concerns into anxiety, and we want to see how Jesus is going is to step into that process and say, come out of that cramped space into the freedom that I have secured for you. Final notes before we plunge in. In, in verse 25, it makes it, it makes it really clear. One of the reasons that we feel like the anxiety builds and we find ourselves in a cramped space, look back at verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, pay attention to how many times he says your or you in this one verse. About your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Can you feel it closing in? As Jesus speaks into this cramped space, what he's saying is when life is all about us, when we get on those tight little mental wheels of thinking about what we're going to do, about our thing, about this thing, about what, it, he's going to speak into this space and say it's cramped when it starts to close in on you. And a couple verses later, he makes it plain that it's never going to work letting those thoughts run you ragged. In verse 27, he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So he's saying, it will run you ragged in a tight little circle. It will hem you in and it doesn't work. <laughs> that exhausted, cramped, anxious space that you're living in, 
to quote the, the famed philosopher Van Wilder. He says, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. It's into that space that Jesus is talking about. He's saying that cramped space where you're living that's all about you and the worry gives you constant activity. It's what occupies your thoughts through the night, but it's not getting you anywhere. He's saying, I want to speak to that part and I want to call you out. I want to call you out into wide open spaces where you can breathe and breathe freely. And so the invitation, church, this morning is to, by the grace of Jesus, exhale and to experience some freedom that he has for us. He's going to sketch a way out of anxiety, out of that cramped space, into the wide spaces of his love this morning. And the first thing that he's going to say is this. In verses 26 through 30, the first step out of that cramped space is to gain some kingdom perspective, to gain some perspective together. Look back at verses 26 through 30 with me. It says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? As Jesus starts on this journey of inviting us out of the cramped space of anxiety, he starts by inviting us to go outside. Did you notice it? He says, don't be anxious, and then he gives us two commands to start helping us figure out how do we follow this path out of anxiety. And the two commands in these verses are look and consider. Look at birds, consider lilies. He's speaking to these oppressed peasant people on a hillside who are tempted to get in a tight little thought circle, focusing on themselves. And he just, he's just hitting pause, and he's going, look around for a second. Take a deep breath. Look at the birds for a moment. In a sense, he's inviting them out of themselves into a big, wide world. He's helping them realize it's not all, in fact, about you. He, he mentions the birds and he says, pay attention to how they are fed. They're not storing up in barns and anxiously worrying about if they're going to have enough to eat. Did you know that there are 300 billion birds today, flitting around, flitting around on the planet, 300 billion that are all going to be sustained with exactly what they need today. <laughs> and it's not that they're inactive. He's not saying become lazy. This is not what Jesus is saying because birds are very active. If you watch them, they fly around and they gather their food and they eat and they do their thing. They're active, but they're not anxious because they know that God provides their needs. And so he's saying, just take a breath and realize the world is big. There's lots going on beyond you. There's 300 billion birds. There are billions of people right now. There's people all around you in this room that are also carrying their concerns and their, their worries. They've got struggles and families and financial concerns and everyone is carrying a very real set of concerns. And Jesus is saying, for a second, would you just get outside of yourself and realize the world is large around you. 
And here I am upholding everything. He's inviting them out into the beauties of the world. I want to share with you a quote from one of my favorite preachers, a man named Charles Spurgeon. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. He used to do lectures on Friday afternoons to young pastors, and he did one years ago that was called uh, the, Mint- the Minister's Fainting Fits. And he was speaking into the place of anxiety where, where a pastor in specifics, but it applies to all of us, feels the weight of it all, and he's giving them some advice as to how do you deal with these moments where you just feel like it's all too much. He says this, He who forgets the humming of the bees among the heather and the cooing of the wood pigeons in the forest, the song of the birds in the woods and the rippling of the rills among the rushes and the sighing of the wind among the pines needs not wonder if his heart forgets to sing and his soul grows weary. A day's breathing of fresh air upon the hills or a few hours ramble among the woods would sweep the cobwebs out of the brain of scores of toiling ministers who are now but half alive. And then listen to this. I love this statement. He says, a mouthful of sea air or a stiff walk in the wind's face would not give grace to the soul, but it would yield oxygen to the body, which is next best. You know what he's saying is sometimes we're so bound up, we feel like the world is pressing in on us. And he's going, maybe it's time to just go outside and take a deep breath. Go walk and get some oxygen and realize, ah, yes, the world is still spinning. The sun still rose. People are still being sustained. God is still feeding the birds. You see, Jesus is inviting his people to get outside of themselves physically. And that's some really practical advice if we're wrestling with anxiety, just very practically. If we take Jesus at the simplest form of his words, sometimes we need to just go outside and take a walk. Watch birds flying around. Pay attention to the squirrels gathering their nuts and allow yourself to to laugh and to pay attention and go, ah, yes, God is sustaining the whole world right now and here I am in my little corner of it. But I think ultimately he's not just saying get outside physically. I think he's actually inviting us to get outside of ourselves emotionally, spiritually, like to go outside, get outside of yourself. My coach and counselor, a a man who is a pastor for 50 years that I meet with with some regularity, uh, one of the ways that he challenges me to do this in the moments where I'm tempted to start picking at something, start worrying about a genuine concern to make it anxiety, make it something that's bigger and more intense than it needs to be. He'll say to me, Jeremiah, it's time to go up to the balcony. And the first time he said it to me, I was like, I don't follow. Jim, help me with that. And he said, you need to take a, you need to find a a balcony seat in your life. Like go find a balcony seat so that you can see it all and take it in for a moment. Consider the big picture He said, for instance, it's kind of like pull up a chair next to you and envision yourself 20 years from now sitting in that chair. What would he have to say about this current situation that has you awake at night? And all of a sudden, it's in these moments where I go sit in the balcony, where I hang out with future me, you know? And all of a sudden I go, I am so bound up with something thinking this is the most important thing in the world. And all of a sudden I go, but then again, maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, God's doing something bigger than just this moment. That in that moment where I can take a seat in the balcony, the, the wisdom of Martin Lloyd-Jones speaking on this passage, he says that Jesus finishes in verse 30 where we were just reading. He says, 
Will not he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He says that Jesus in this moment calls us you of little faith because we are a people that are tempted to believe on Jesus. We believe on him to be sufficient for our eternity, for our salvation, to set us free from sin and death and Satan and hell itself. We think Jesus is is sufficient to do that. He says we believe on Jesus, but we don't believe Jesus. Like we don't actually believe you're here with me now and you're sufficient to deal with this argument that I'm having with my spouse. You're not sufficient to deal with the fact that singleness continues to linger longer than I thought it would. You're not sufficient to deal with the fact that I really thought my job situation would have shifted by now, but it hasn't. So I think you can deliver my eternity, Jesus. I believe on you for that, but I don't believe you. (laughs) I don't believe that you're here in the midst of it all, working in this moment. It's oftentimes not until we take a seat in the balcony where we gain some perspective beyond the moment that we can start saying, okay, I need to be right-sized. Right now, I feel like I am the most important thing and my issues are the most important thing in all the world. But when I take a seat with, with future me, when I, when I go up into the balcony and I see the big picture, I go, okay, there's more at play here. The first thing that Jesus is inviting us to is to go outside and to gain a little perspective. There's more going on than just this issue, this reality right now in your life. But after we get perspective, that's not the end of it. He presses on. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. He doubles down on the command and he says more. And what he's going to do is after he invites us to gain perspective, he's going to command us to, to actually set our kingdom priorities. Not just to gain kingdom perspective, but to set kingdom priorities. Look back at verses 31 through 33 with me. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now in this moment, he's not just making a delineation between Jews and Gentiles. He's not picking on the non-Jews. What he's, what he's articulating is those who are not in covenant relationship with God, those who don't know God as their father, those who feel like they don't know if anyone is looking out for them in the world, so they're trying to carve it all out by their own strength. He says, they worry about all these things. But he says, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you hear it? He's saying that if you have a God who is powerful and knows you by name and it is your father, shouldn't it look different for you to confront the challenges of this world than someone who doesn't have a relationship with God? Isn't this the place where our connection to God should have real tangible outworkings in our life? He's going, listen, there is a whirlwind and we all live in the whirlwind. We can all admit this, right? There are 10,000 things clawing at our attention and our focus that will demand things of you, that will declare things to you of you don't have enough wisdom to deal with this, this parenting issue, this challenge with this friend, the exhaustion that you feel, the fact that your to-do list is never done. You, you in the midst of the whirlwind may very likely feel like I don't know what to do next because it all feels important and urgent and it feels like I'm drowning. And into that space, he says, your relationship with God should change things. It should make 
things feel different for those that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and ushered into family with God. And the, the way that he says it is by seeking first the kingdom of God, you'll be able to actually have priority. You see, the idea is when you're able to take a seat in the balcony and see the big picture, it's not until you get perspective that you can finally see the whirlwind and you can look at it and say, okay, finally I can tell what's actually important, what's critical, what's first. He says, seek first the kingdom. This is doubly emphatic and it's a bit awkward in the original language because seek already carries with it this idea of priority. It means to urgently seek out the thing that's most important. And so he says, seek, and then he says, seek first. He's being doubly emphatic. This is the thing you need to focus on. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness first. In many ways, it's like my morning journey of trying to find my keys when they're not where they're expected. You know, there are times where I'll wake up in the morning and, and I've got this series of questions that help me find my keys because the first thing is, are they in the bowl where they're supposed to be? That's the first question. And when I go in the morning and they're not in the bowl, I, start, I have to work down my, kind of my decision-making tree, my subsequent questions. The second question is, well, are they, in the, are they in the pants pocket of the pants I wore yesterday? So oftentimes this is early in the morning while my family's still asleep, so I sneak back into my room and I'm checking my pants. And if, if they're not there, the third question is, okay, if I was four years old and I was playing with dad's keys, where would I have left them? You know, now I'm pretending to be Judah, walking around the house like, ah, oh, there they are, tucked away in a shoe, just where they should have been, right? You know, in that moment, the reason I seek my keys is because one, I know they're there. They're somewhere. I know they're there. And two, I can't do anything till I find them. It's actually necessary that I find them for me to, to do what I'm called to do with the day. Seeking the kingdom of God is like that. One, it's there. The kingdom of God is there. We need to be aware of this reality that Jesus has actually instituted his kingdom and it's like leaven working through the dough that we serve a crucified and resurrected Lord that is seating on the th seated on the throne right now and his kingdom has this like beautiful hum just under the surface. This is why Paul in Ephesians 1 prays that the eyes of your heart would be opened. Because if we're not careful, we'll live all of life walking around looking with the eyes of our face and miss the fact that the kingdom of God is just under the surface, quaking with all of its beauty and power and presence. It's there. And secondly, it's necessary that we find it because we will not be the men and the women that we've called to be until we unearth it and go, ah, in the midst of it all, there it is. So I want to supply you with a few questions, three simple questions, like my questions when I'm trying to find my keys. When you're trying to discern the kingdom of God, particularly in the midst of those concerns that threaten to become anxiety for you, here's three questions to ask to find God's kingdom in the midst of it. The first is this, how might God be glorified in this situation? Like when you're laying awake and you're, you're tempted to start worrying about that thing and you're starting to pick at that legitimate concern of what are we gonna do about this issue with our child? I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. Or am I going to be single forever? And you start catastrophizing and you want to start picking at it. In that moment, pause and go, how might God be glorified through this? How might the beauty and the weight and the character of God show up in these circumstances? 
and begin to pray about it, you will actually feel a shift in that moment because this is what happens. When we are in anxiety, our thoughts are directing us. They're working us into this cramped space where we're spinning in circles. Our thoughts are telling us what to do. When you start to pick up kingdom questions and you say, okay, how might God be glorified in the midst of this? Now you're directing your thoughts. You have authority over what's happening in your mind and your heart. With God, you're coming along and you're starting to go, okay, God, how might you be glorified in this? The second question, who might be loved through this? Like right now, this thing that I'm dealing with, this challenge, this fear, this reality, how might I reposition it to really love someone? If you're laying awake concerned about your singleness, now all of a sudden you flip it and you go, the freedom and the space that I have in life because of my singleness, who might I love in that space? How might I serve someone around us, around me in this moment? How might I reposition this from not just being about me and getting caught in this tight little circle, but how can I reposition it in such a way that the kingdom of God is discovered hovering just under the surface? Or thirdly, how might I be transformed to look more like Jesus through this situation? This pain, this struggle, this tension that threatens to turn into anxiety starting to ask, God, what are you wanting to do in me? What is the character of Jesus like? And how would he confront this? And how might I actually open-handedly be, be receiving the Spirit's work to make me look more like him? Now, all of a sudden, we're seeking the kingdom of God that's at play right there in the midst of our concerns, our potential anxiety. You see, we can't do it until we gain some perspective. We've got to actually get outside of ourselves. We go up into the balcony. We survey the landscape. And then we can start asking, what are priorities? Ah, there's the kingdom at work in the midst of my life. And I'm going to seek that first and trust that as I seek it, God's going to, God's going to give me everything I need, just like he feeds the birds daily. You see, we've got to gain kingdom perspective and set kingdom priorities. And then lastly... Lastly, we need to keep a kingdom pace. Keep, keep kingdom pace. Look at verse 34 with me. It says, therefore, do not be anxious. The third time Jesus has declared that in this passage. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's almost as if Jesus anticipates what we're like. He knows the way that we're wired, that we can wrestle down anxiety in the moment. We might go, okay, I'm going I'm to pray this down. I'm okay. But then all of a sudden, like pressing a beach ball down under the water and the pool, all of a sudden it pops up somewhere else. We may wrestle anxiety down in the moment, but then it pops up and it starts, it starts threatening us about tomorrow. Yeah, maybe you're okay now, but what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next day? All the things that you can't control, that you don't know how they're going to unwind. And Jesus invites us to get perspective, to set our priorities, and then to keep pace with him. And say, one day at a time. One day at a time. Tomorrow's got plenty. It can take care of itself. Let's, let's just tend to today. Let's find that pace along with God. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't be wise. Be prepared for tomorrow. There's actually a strong distinction biblically between wise and biblical planning and frantic anxiety. Let me just give you a couple of quick marks. Wise planning, which we're intended, we're commanded to do throughout the scriptures. Four marks of wise planning. It's strategic. 
I'm thinking critically about what's coming. I'm coming up with a proper plan for it. It's communal. I'm inviting others in. Hey, what do you think about this? I've got these things upcoming, and so I'm making a plan about that. I want your advice there. It's open-handed, like in the book of James where he says, hey, you may make plans, but say, if the Lord wills, because you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. And so you don't get to own tomorrow. You hold it with an open hand, and you embrace responsibility. So a biblical plan is taking responsibility for the future, but doing so with an open hand in the context of community as strategically as possible. Frantic anxiety is the shadow side of all four of those realities. It's the inverse. It's not strategic, it's aimless. I'm not actually constructing or thinking critically about a plan that's going to lead to future flourishing. I'm just spinning. It's aimless. It's not communal, it's internal. It's not that I'm actually processing with community and coming up with, I'm just internally being torn asunder. It's not open-handed, it's white-knuckled. If this doesn't plan out, come out the way I've planned it, I don't know what I'm going to do. If my plans in this area that I've got, that I've been spinning on, if it doesn't all turn out, it's white-knuckled. It's not saying, and by the way, God can do as he pleases tomorrow. And as a result, it's not taking responsibility, it's sidestepping responsibility. It's just giving me something to worry about that's not actually producing health. You see, the invitation is not to quit wisely and biblically planning. But what he's saying is, don't pick at tomorrow with all of your worry in such a way that it robs you of your joy. The way that Corey Ten Boom says it is that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It just empties today of its strength. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It just empties today of its strength. And so this is the invitation. Where you feel like right now you're in a cramped space of anxiety. Where you feel like your worry is, is wanting to tell your story. That a legitimate concern has already uh, has started to swell out of proportion and wrap its arms around you in such a way that you feel like you can't breathe in this constricted place. Jesus comes and he says, hey, would you step outside with me? Get outside of yourself and take a deep breath and remember that God right now is causing the cosmos to hold together by the power of his word. He's feeding the birds and he knows you. And then in the midst of that whirlwind, would you look back in and discover where is his kingdom at work? Would you rehearse the beauties and the goodness of the gospel that Jesus stepped into this world And he actually took on a tidal wave of anxiety, the reality of the fact that tomorrow was incredibly threatening, that on the night that he was betrayed, it says that he was was actually worried unto death. It was like the pressure of it all was, was pressing down on him as he swallowed a tidal wave of the anxious realities of what sin is working in the world. But he buried it in a grave and he conquered it in such a way that he says, it has all been tended to. All of the unknown and the death, all that would threaten to rob you of joy and fullness, I have put an end to it and I have secured life and fullness. And now here I am on a throne and what I'm inviting you to do is discern where and how that is hovering just under the surface. And as you do, what you will realize is what everyone who is secure in the love of Jesus realizes is that your ultimate tomorrow is beautiful. Tomorrow is secure in his hands. 
You see, when we have kingdom perspective and kingdom priorities, we will be able to keep a kingdom pace, recognizing that he is with me today and he has secured my tomorrows. I am free to no longer live in the cramped space of anxiety, but to step outside. (laughs) To exhale in the freedom that is the love of God and what he has secured for us. Let's pray.